98FM, it is the Saturday Social with Rachel. Now, long before Flat 7-Up was a thing, the Irish had many, many cures for different illnesses. And some of these have been captured at the National Folklore Collection in UCD. And here to tell me all about it is archivist Johnny Dillon. Johnny, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure, Rachel. Cheers. Now, Johnny, first off, you guys have a list of these fascinating old Irish remedies that people used to use to cure all sorts of ailments in Ireland. Tell me first a bit about the list of of remedies. Where did you come across them and kind of when are we talking about in Irish history? So that's a good question. So I suppose the, the National Folklore Collection would have large collections of manuscripts, photographs, tape recordings relating to all aspects of, of Irish folk custom, Irish folk tradition. So not just folk medicine, but all aspects of, of the lives and attitudes, popular opinions, stories, rituals of our forebears, basically. And as part of that, folk medicine forms an important kind of aspect of, of our traditional inheritance, traditional folk culture. So a lot of the material that the public can access online, in particular through, we have a project that we run with our colleagues in Fionter and Skull in DCU, which is the website duchus.ie. And we've digitized a collection on there called the Schools Collection, the Schools Folklore Scheme. And that ran from 1937 to 1939. It was a very forward-thinking kind of collection where uh, senior pupils in primary schools were tasked with collecting folklore from their parents and grandparents and people in their in their own local communities. They would then write all of this down in their copybooks and mm-hmm. then into these larger notebooks, which were sent back to the Folklore Commission offices, which are and all this material is held today and catalogued and paginated and kind of arranged here at the National Folklore Collection, so people can wow. come in and see the originals but we've also digitized it and put it all online so one of the topics that the children were collecting on or were tasked with collecting information about was that of folk medicine okay so that's how it all came about and yeah very forward thinking it's like a it's like a time capsule they were doing back in the 1930s Yeah, exactly. And the other the other interesting thing about these collections, like unlike, say, formal records or state records, like the census returns or whatever, um, these are all kind of informal types of records. So mm-hmm. you have school children collecting from elderly people, but you have a lot of, I suppose it's it's been described as a, as a snapshot of Irish tradition taken over a long exposure over that two-year yeah. kind of period. That's a great thing to have. Um, so like you were saying, one of the things they were finding out about is kind of the remedies and the medicine that people used back then. So first of all, like, you know, some of these cures, a lot of people will find a little bit strange, okay? So mm. talk to me a bit about, um, you know, people using these cures or remedies and, and they're linked to, I suppose, like superstition at the time. By, by contemporary standards, a lot of these cures seem kind of odd and whimsical or whatever when you take them on their own. Folk medicine should be seen or might usefully be seen as a sort of informal form of medicine, right? If you take back in the time in previous generations when our great-grandparents, grandparents and so on, when maybe there mightn't have been the same degree of access or same ease of access to medical professionals, mm. that people basically were relying on their own knowledge and skill in t- to look for material in the local environment. So before... Sir Alexander Fleming discovered penicillin, you would have had people keeping a piece of mouldy bread, essentially, that could be used to cure certain kind of cuts and things like this. That was used before the formal discovery was made. Cobwebs might be used to, for a cut or whatever. Uh, sweat houses were used in tradition to cure pleurisy or rheumatism. So there were these practical aspects. And then there were also magical or ritual elements. So the use of charms, prayers, kind of symbolic actions. And speaking of these kind of more ritual cures, Johnny, what is the story with the one I have read about, um, about a girl of a certain surname who makes bread is able to then heal someone's cough? What is that all about? Certain people with particular surnames were held in tradition to hold a cure for certain ailments. 
So anyone with the surname Kyo, Kyo's blood was actually often sought sought after where a person with the surname of Kyo would sometimes literally apply the blood to, there's a type of rash or blisters or something that a person had and that that could actually cure different ailments, could cure burns and so on and different types of things. Oh, wow. By the same virtue, then you have this example of, say, two people um, who might have the same surname who would marry. The woman then would be imbued with the ability to cure certain people. And so that reference to bread that was sometimes known as charity bread. Okay, and so on and so forth. very interesting. I'm going to have to look up Ryan now and see if there's any magical <laughs> properties that I possess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now, another one that caught my eye and I thought was interesting, Johnny, is, you know, I think nowadays if, you know, people aren't happy with uh, the length of their hair or maybe they're losing some hair, you just hop on a plane to Turkey. Um, but back in the day, they used um, something quite different to uh, try and cure their baldness. They used to rub sheep's milk on their head Again, one of these more maybe referring to a slightly practical kind of aspect of tradition or whatever, but like you'd, you would find, say, sometimes the uses animal products, again, think like the reference to these things would be things that are to hand, you know what I mean? Things that are either in the local environment that are locally available, right? So you have these references, supposed to, to practical elements, but again, some of which seem slightly fanciful today I don't know if people would be slapping milk on their heads um, no much although I mean today, I if you want it enough you never know uh, you it, never know another yeah. funny one I saw was um, to do with a toothache and um, that you, the people used to get the ends of candles that were lit around a corpse and then you'd rub it mm-hmm. on your face where the pain is now like there's no like would some <laughs> of these things give a bit of relief you know what I mean like in terms of it might just yeah. ease the pain but you know they're just hoping it'll cure it because that's all that they kind of had. A bit of both. So in a way, by, by modern standards, in a way, lots of these practices seem kind of quaint, outdated, or just utterly odd. But in a way, they kind of they tend to display their own internal logic. So in the case of, you mentioned their toothache and, and candles from the wake house and so on, the idea was that you could sometimes transfer your illness into a corpse, basically. So sometimes at the wake house, um, that the corpse would be touched with the intention of, of this illness kind of leaving you and going to them like the woman with the double surname kind of thing it's not just any L candle that can be used to cure the toothache it's candles that have been in this slightly used in a ritual context or whatever but and people in many ways might not really publicly admit to entertaining these sorts of ideas like ritual or, or magical uses of cures but actually scratch at the surface there are still a great many people in Ireland parts of the Midlands as well where charm are still used as cures where someone has the charm of a certain a certain illness many of us as well would still maybe pray to a certain saint to intercede for a loved one who's ill or might visit the relic of a certain saint or visit a holy well and so on to effect a cure. So although it seems in many ways we're very kind of materialistic and secularized and so on, actually privately in any way, pe- people often resort to more ritualistic forms kind of to bring comfort as well yeah. in a sense. Absolutely. Um, as, as well as maybe to affect the cures. You know? Yeah, and you're right. And there's little parts of these things that even though they seem so in the past now that we have clung on to in some way, shape or form. I'm wondering though, Johnny, when the whole Flat 7 Up thing came about. I mean, that's probably not in the archives. <laughs> that's the most ancient of them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, that's in the mythological cycle and that's, the animals all reference Flat 7 yeah. Up all the way through. Yeah, It's so sacred <laughs> that we don't know any more and details on that. On yeah. dry crackers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, it's really fascinating stuff, Johnny. Where can people head along to if they want to find out more on the collection uh, the best way the easiest way to go is, is on to duchas.ie so d-u-c-h-a-s dot i-e 
um, people can contact us or the National Folklore Collection at University College Dublin. The public are more than welcome to come in to visit or just if they have any queries. Um, and then I do a po- podcast as well, Blurini Bailadish or Folklore Fragments. I've one on folk medicine, Spotify and SoundCloud and YouTube and places like that. So Brilliant. Absolutely super stuff. Johnny Dillon, archivist at the National Folklore Collection at UCD. Thank you so much for your time on the Saturday Social on 98FM. Pleasure. Thanks for chatting.